The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 22. This is Writing Excuses. On mentorship, sending the elevator back down. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Lun. I'm Aaron. I'm Dan. And I'm holding the elevator. <laughs> Wait, no, you're not Wait, supposed to do that. A misuse of the metaphor. <laughs> I, pushed, I pushed all the buttons. What are we supposed to be doing? All right, we found the problem. We solved it. Episode's over. No. So I it's wanted not to. a time machine. <laughs> so after the few episodes, last few episodes, are talking about working in publishing, what it's like to be in publishing. You know, one thing that's kind of come up a few times is both the perspective of, like, how do I break into this industry as someone coming to it from the outside, um, but also sort of what is the experience of being a marginalized person working in the industry. Again, this a lot of this will apply to writers. I'm talking about it specifically from the perspective of working in the industry. Um, obviously, I am a person of color. I'm a queer person of color. I've had my own experience in the industry. I've been very fortunate in most of my interactions and... Um, had a number of privileges that I think helped me get ahead in certain ways. And so one thing that I think about a lot is how do we make this industry more inclusive? How do we create opportunities for people who uh, don't have the same backgrounds as everyone else in the business, who don't have the same privileges as everyone else, and who maybe aren't even in New York City, right? I mean, the, the geographic location of most of the industry is a huge barrier to people breaking into it. I mean, you go back to when we were talking about networking, how do you network with publishing people if you're not in a place where publishing people live, right? So this is where I start thinking about what are the explicit structures being put into place uh, to accomplish this? And that's where mentorship comes, uh, comes into play. This is where the metaphor of sending the elevator back down comes from, Right. It's holding the door for the person behind you. It's not just, I got in, closed the door, holding the elevator on the top floor. So no, no, no. I know that's not what you were saying, no, no. Howard. But, you know, 
It's how do we make sure that structurally we're not just creating opportunity, but we're explicitly inviting people in. It's the opposite to of the how to break into comics uh, uh, metaphor that was used years ago and has stuck with me, which is every time someone breaks into comics, everybody who's already in asks, How did you get in? And then they look at wherever that hole is in their secure facility and they patch it up so no one else can use that one. Well, exactly. and, and we want the opposite of that. Yeah, right. ba- back when I was breaking into publishing, that was the exact metaphor that people would use. I remember David Hartwell talking about that on a panel at World Fantasy. Uh, that was a common sentiment, and I take it as a good sign in the industry that that sentiment seems to be changing, that it's more about figuring out how to let more people in rather than trying to keep people out. It was one of the things that, uh, when I was on the board at CIFWA, um, for new listeners, that Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association, is that we um, we just made a, a, a shift in our mandate, kind of internally, the way we reframed it, um, when we were talking about the, the requirements for membership. And that what we wanted was to be um, not gatekeepers, but gate openers. And that meant adjusting the membership requirements to make it easier for people to join. So like we, um, that's a, that's the point when, and it's, I just want to be clear that it's not me that was doing that. That was a, that was a group effort. Um, But, but thinking about, okay, what are the barriers that keep people from getting in? What can we do to dismantle that barrier? Exactly. And I think that, one of the things with this, I love the metaphor of the elevator, but sometimes it makes you think that you have to like be at the top floor. You have to be in the penthouse before you can sort of send the elevator back down. But sometimes you can just hold it for people who are coming in at the same time that you are exactly. and like actually work with your peer group as well to like give each other opportunities, see other people as part of a collaborative cohort of creativity that's going to take the world by storm, not as competitors who are all seeking to get to the same place and have to drag each other down in any way. Right. I mean, I think you're hitting on one of my problems with the metaphor as much as I do use it is a lot of times when I'm reaching out to my peers for mentorship in some way, either me looking to someone for an assist or me reaching out to someone else to assist them, it's not that I'm seeing myself as I'm up here and you're down here. It's actually, I see us as peers and I want to help you out, right? And I know that if I help you out, you'll probably help me out in the future, right? There is that community aspect. There is that collaboration aspect of this place will be better for us if there are more voices in the room, right? If there's more opportunity created by other perspectives being there. If I'm the only one in the room, it is so, so difficult to speak up about certain issues. I remember, you know, back when I was an editor at Orbit, um, I was working with a, a South Asian woman, David Pillay, and just having that extra voice in the room was so transformative to me so that when I would say, hey, I think this is an issue, or hey, I think this is cool, I'd love it if we did more of that, even if she didn't say anything, there was someone there who had my back, Right. And so I think being the only voice in the room versus there even being just one other person, it makes such a difference in your ability to speak up, to get things done, and to make a difference in that way. So, you know, for me, it, there is a self-interest in it too, right? Is, is I think I'll be able to do my job better if there are other people I can talk to who see the world in a way that's closer to how I see it. 
The metaphor that I use is not elevator. It's um, it's uh, path through the forest. Mm. That um, you know that where I am in my career, I'm I'm on a little bit of a rise, and I can see back over the, the path that I've been on. And I can tell people about the obstacles that they're going to hit on their path, but everybody's starting from a different point. Right. Everybody's coming from a different house. So if there's two people that are coming from the same neighborhood, they're going to be able to give each other advice that I can't give because I, I didn't walk that path. I can talk about like, there's going to be the forest of despair, but I don't know the specific boulders. I can give you bouldering techniques. Right. I can't actually, by the way. Just <laughs> <definitely>. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's it's key here to recognize that, you know, in, in our episode title, we talk about, you know, mentorship. Um, the things that I, as a 55-year-old uh, mediocre white male who landed a cartooning career through sheer luck uh, 20 years ago, uh, the things that I can tell you about breaking into the industry are probably irrelevant. The things that I can tell you about working every day and learning how to craft a joke and learning how to work through pain without further injuring yourself and a million other things that I learned over that time period, those have value. And as a young creator, as an aspiring creator of anything, uh, you often will feel the need to jump straight to how do I break in? And what I have to offer as a mentor would be, I don't know how to break in, but here's what you need once you clear that. Here's what you want to have in your backpack when you, when you drop Tom Cruise style, you know, on the cable into the secure mm -hmm. room, whatever. Uh, and so as a mentor, I love talking about craft. Mm -hmm. I always feel very uncomfortable when anyone asks me, how do you get to be internet famous? Well, I think Mary Robinette and Howard are hitting on really important things. That mentorship isn't about like teaching someone, here's the 10 steps you need to do to break in, right? You don't know what path they're coming from. You don't know where they're starting from. And also the paths have changed a lot, yeah. right? And where I see in the writing community mentorship go a little awry is when I see a writer being like, this is how I did it, so you have to do it this way. These are, this mm -hmm. is how things are, capital letters, right? Versus a lot of times when I'm in a mentorship role with somebody, so much of it is me just listening, honestly. Yes. It, it, it is transformative, and this kind of was going back to what I was saying earlier about having two people in the room. It is so transformative just to be able to have someone to complain to, right? <laughs> uh -huh. Complaining is a huge part of mentorship, right? <laughs> and you know, because solidarity is a big part of it. Just the emotional awareness of, man, someone else is going through it. Someone else has experienced things like I've experienced. They may not have a solution because, you know what? A lot of times there isn't a solution. A lot of times we're talking about big structural stuff that there's no like, oh, here's the secret. If you say this one thing in a meeting, suddenly things will get better. You know what I mean? That, that, that just doesn't exist. We're, we're working against huge, entrenched, you know, patterns that have been there since for decades and decades and decades. I love that you said the word solidarity because I think mentorship is a practice of solidarity, but there are so many other practices of solidarity that you can be doing all the time. Absolutely. Even if you feel, hey, I'm not in a position to mentor, you can always be bringing people's names up in rooms where they, where they are not. You can be talking up what other people are doing. You can find a piece of advice and share it with someone else. 
There is so much to be said, I think, about beginning your practice of solidarity the minute you are living life at all. Mm -hmm. But in this industry, the minute you start out, be in solidarity with others. Some of those people may have more experience with you than you. Some may have less. Some may have the same. But when you're doing that, I think for one thing, it like helps your soul to be in solidarity with others. And I think it helps other people want to be in solidarity with you. And it means that as you move sort of through your career, it's not so much like, oh, I've gotten to a point. How do I reach? You've been reaching the whole time. Mm -hmm. Some of my favorite things that I've managed to do on sort of that front are things that the person who got that opportunity or got that gig or whatever it is never knows that I was involved at all. (laughs) Has no idea that I said something or advocated for them or even just was like, hey, you ever thought about that person? You know what I mean? And it's my favorite thing to do. It's just like I see somebody doing something cool who I feel like could use a boost in one way or the other. And I'm going to talk that person up because I'm excited that they're there, right? And, you know, I think I, I, I default to mentorship as the way to think about this, which is sort of this explicit hierarchical relationship. And you're right. I want this to look as much like mutual aid as it does and solidarity as it does that sort of like top-down way. Corporate structures have given us mentorship, but what I would love for us to have are stronger connections with each other. Mm-hmm. And we all help each other out in this flow, right? The people who have mentored me, I have turned around and helped them back, right? And that's the thing that is beautiful to me about the system is I have such gratitude for those people who were looking out for me, who taught me certain ways, who gave introduced me to certain opportunities. And then I was able to advocate for them and provide opportunities for them later. Um, and, you know, on that note, I, I, I want to take a break here. And then when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about how do you actually build those relationships? How do you actually execute on providing solidarity, providing community, providing mentorship for folks. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique, which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all, think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So I'm excited because this week's thing of the week is a newsletter from, I'm going to call a friend tour, uh, <laughs> someone that I uh, sort of see as a peer, but so knowledgeable and amazing, who is Suyi Davies Okumboa. And he has an amazing newsletter called After Five. So we've been talking about newsletters and talking about learning. And he has such brilliant things to say about craft. It's like a once a month newsletter. And you're like, how did I not think of this? You can read what he's reading and, you know, actually see his writing. But I also just love the way that he thinks about how to support each other, how to find healing and inspiration, how to, like, figure out story ideas. So absolutely go and check out Suyi Davies Okumboa's After Five newsletter. So while we're talking about mentorship and solidarity, one thing I want to focus on is how do we actually do this? And, you know, one thing I want to flag is to keep an eye on your bandwidth. There have been times where I've gone so hard on trying to, like, help people out, participating in mentorship programs, this, that, and the other, that I actually dropped the ball and wasn't able to provide the support that I think some folks needed in that moment. And it's a huge regret for me of, like, I, I didn't execute on the things that I wanted to be doing. And it forced me to step back and really look at what I was doing and how I was doing it. And I think made me really think about like, okay, what's the ways in which I can be most effective at boosting the people I want to be boosting? In craft terms, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the focused practice model, which is the idea that uh, we tend to um, we tend to practice the things that we're already good at. We need to practice the things that we're not good at. And when I am given the opportunity to look at someone's work and they ask for feedback, um, I try to inspire them by telling them, this is a thing that you are already good at. And challenge them by saying, this is the thing you need to focus on. I well remember someone bringing me a portfolio and I went through it and my first thought was, wow, these renders are all awesome. This is amazing. What? Oh, there's no backgrounds. Oh, here we go. And I was able to say, hey, you're doing great work, but all of these are white space pictures. You need to show us that you can draw a background, whether it's a forest or a cityscape or whatever. And so from a mentoring standpoint, and again, with, with bandwidth in mind, I try to come down to those two things so that I can say something encouraging and something directional and send them on their way uh, so that I haven't signed up to be their tutor. So I, I find I've done mentoring um, both in a very structured, formal way. Um, with puppetry, we would do internships where you'd come you would have an internship project. There was a whole thing. Um, I've done the the thing where it's like, you're going to be my mentee for a year. and um, But I've also done much more informal, uh, what I think more of is nurturing than mentoring, which is just being available to answer questions. That a lot of times, you know, if you are like one year, even a month farther along your career path than someone else, 
you can answer questions and being available and being excited to share that knowledge with them, that's, that's a gift. The other things that I've found that I can do that are very low impact are introducing people to each other who are, you know, would be good to have a cohort. It's like, let me introduce the two of you so that you have someone to run with. And then I also keep, um, not, not any kind of like super formal Rolodex list, but I keep a list of people that I think should be signal boosted that are not getting the attention that, that I think that they should get. Um, because I can't, you know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't always be me. So Mm -hmm. I get, I get invitations to do things and if I'm turning it down, I'll say, here's some people that you should look at. But also if I'm accepting, I will say, here's some other people you should think about inviting. And I keep a list for the same reason that uh, you were advising us earlier to think about comp titles for books, because the ability to, to think in the moment of who, who is, there's smart people that, who are they? And it's, it's, it's really easy to just reach for your close friends, but, mm-hmm. but reaching for someone who's like, just let me, let me make a little bit of a gap for you here. Yeah, uh, I, I do the same thing. And I love that. One of my favorite things in the world is recommending somebody else. I, I said in a previous episode, I get invited to a lot of anthologies. I love being able to say no, but please reach out to these people. And I keep a list because if I don't, I find myself recommending the same two people every time. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I am, am helping as, as wide a net of people as possible. And essentially, you know, after the last few years of isolation and being, you know, not going to cons and things like that because we weren't able to, I find my, my list is getting shorter right now. You know, I, I'm, I'm in this moment of like, oh, I got to start reaching out to people. And this is part of the cycle too, is realizing that that Rolodex of people that you're looking to boost, who you're like, who's coming up, who's doing cool stuff. Um, a lot of that requires a very active way of being in the world, of making mm-hmm. sure you're meeting people and being really intentional. And I think as we get farther and farther along in our careers, it gets harder and harder to make sure that you're making that space for people and that you're being aware of what's going on. You know, whenever I send out a submission, I really try hard to keep at least one junior person in the mix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, a lot, as my friends become more and more senior as we're in this longer and longer in the business, that means I'm submitting to executive editors, publishers more. But I also want to make sure there's at least an associate on there somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody... And it's a way for me to keep an eye on who's the new talent, who's coming up, who do I like interacting with, what, how do they respond, and also to make sure that those people are getting opportunities. And so they're going into their editorial meeting being like, hey, I got this cool submission. And I cannot tell you what a difference that makes for a young editor to be like, this cool project is coming to me and came to me directly. So what are ways in which that you can use your institutional power to make sure that other people are getting attention and, and you know, it's not the only reason I do it. I, I don't send it to people who I don't think are interesting, right? Like, I have to think you're cool at a base for me to send you a project because it is my client's work. But it is a thing that I try to make a deliberate practice as well. Uh, I'm in a leadership position on a huge role-playing game project right now. And a couple of months ago, the kind of lead designers came into us uh, with, you know, to present their list of, these are all the people that we've, vetted and that we think would be awesome that we want to hire for this project. And I, I thought, I really want to get Erin onto this project. I'm going to make sure to take a moment and recommend her. And she was already on the list. It was so great. <laughs> she, uh, they, they showed the list and it's like, Erin Roberts. I'm like, oh, well, 
my job here is done. This is wonderful. <laughs> now, you need to, now there's an opportunity to recommend somebody else. Which I did, and now I, I got so. her on the project too. So uh, it's I, I love doing that. It's one of my favorite parts of, of being in this industry. Yeah. So we spent a fair time talking about why we all think it's important to mentor other people, to make space for other people. What's the flip side of that? Who were the people who mentored you? How did you find that? Was it a deliberate thing? Did somebody just pluck you and just be like, hey, I'm going to take care of you now? Or did you seek those people out over the course of your career? So it, it's interesting because like most of the, the, there are people that I definitely think of as mentors mm-hmm. um, that were in, in the writing community that were in no way, shape or form did we have any kind of formal mentor relationship. It was just someone that I, I look to as, hmm, every time this person talks about how to move through the world, I feel like a better person. Mm-hmm. And what I find for me is that, that, that the, the best mentors are not the ones who are talking about the nuts and the bolts of the craft. Mm-hmm. And the advice that I got, like some of the best advice that I got from my, my puppetry mentor, which was a formal relationship, was again about the way to move through the world. It's like when something goes wrong, he's like, someday you're going to look back on this and laugh, so you may as well laugh now. And that has been like such a part of how I move through the world. Same thing with with writing. And it's like the the person for me that comes immediately to mind is Connie Willis um, and Jay Lake. So those two people just basically made room for me to enter a conversation and made sure that I was introduced to the people around me and then gave me room to to talk, to feel like I feel like I belonged. And that that was, you know, uh, being able to to just feel that is something that is difficult when you're entering a new space. And, and the, you know, I'm I was lucky because I was coming from a, an established profession where I I understood how to how to make space for myself. But if you're coming in brand new and much younger or from a marginalized community, making making that room for people and, and making them feel valued is, I think, that that for me has been the greatest gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A- at a very early World Fantasy Con that I went to, uh, I was in an elevator with Connie Willis. And she introduced herself. And it was so, in hindsight, it was so clearly a, I know what I'm doing. I know that you're new. Let me reach out and help you. And I was too starstruck to do anything other than, hi, I'm Dan. It's nice to meet you. And did not do any kind of follow-up, left the elevator as, as quickly as I could. And I look back at that and think, oh, what opportunities did I miss out on? Because she was such a, a helpful part of the industry. Yeah. Uh, and I missed that. It's still, I mean, um, she's... On the other hand, uh, when I Am Not a Serial Killer came out, uh, Tor brought me out to BEA. And they do those, you know, huge signings where they just throw free books at people and people get in line. And I was sharing the booth with Kevin J. Anderson and Patty Garcia, who at the time was uh, ran PR for Tor. And had the opportunity basically to impress them both. I clearly know how to talk to people. I know how to sell my own books. And then... Uh, for the next several years, uh, the two of them would, at every opportunity, here, let me explain something to you that you don't know. Um, let me invite you to this opportunity that, that you don't have. Uh, and both of them I'm incredibly grateful to for, for that. Okay. Dirty secret. Dong Wan, when you asked the question, you know, who, who have your mentors been? I had to think about it and think about it and think about it. And I realized, oh, 
That's why I don't have a good answer. Fairly early in the part of my career where I was figuring out what I was doing, I got roped into doing this podcast with Brandon Sanderson and Dan Wells (laughs) and had Brandon Sanderson and Dan Wells and then Mary Robinette Kowal and at times, uh, I you know what, I'm not going to try and laundry list the guests because we've had so many guests, um, had all of these people as unwitting mentors <laughs> and, and I'm a sponge and I just listened and listened and listened and tried to carry my own weight by restating things in a way that was funny. And I cannot overstate how valuable that has been for me. Um, no, this isn't a great path for you, fair listener, to go get mentors. Um, but then again, uh, those people who were talking during the podcast, it, you can listen to them too. I, want to, I know we're running a little long, but I want to flip things a little bit for one last minute here, which is, you know, Aaron, you were talking about framing this less as mentorship in that hierarchical way and more about solidarity and kind of a community-driven approach. So, you know, to flip the question a little bit, like, what does that mean for you? How did you find those spaces or have you found those spaces, you know, or is that a thing that you're still looking for? Yeah, actually, I was, as you were asking that question, I was thinking, like, I feel that I've had very, like, I probably insult 20 mentors right now, but I've had very <laughs> few, like, direct mentorship relationships and a lot There's of, a like... There's a Brad out there who's very hurt that you don't appreciate his advice. <laughs> Brad! Uh, but, like, a lot of, like, fairy godparents and people who have done me a solid on a particular day. I have some really cool friend groups where we all are in different... We're doing different things within fiction writing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, I may know more, a little bit more about teaching. This person's published a bunch of novels. So they will tell me what it's like doing a publisher. This person is like, does a lot of audio. And so kind of similar to what Howard was saying, like it's by whenever I meet somebody, everyone has something to teach you. And that's the way that I try to approach life. And I think maybe because of that, or just luck of the draw, or that I don't look threatening, like people teach me things. And I feel like Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot from a lot of different people and then try to teach where I can. And like, I think in trying to approach it that way, it's been great. I will say the thing about solidarity is it's amazing. It can also be, and this is just sort of a warning, especially for marginalized folks, put your (laughs) oxygen mask on before uh, assisting others. Sometimes you can want to be so much in solidarity with others that you lose yourself, you know, in the process because you want to help everybody up. And Mm -hmm. then you're like, I'm tired and I've lost who I am and what brought me to the table, Mm -hmm. which is why I think it's as important to think about what you bring to the solidarity table. And some of that is your own creative power, which means sometimes you got to shut the door and write the work and then come back refreshed so that you can be a part of sort of a mutual community. And remember that the more that you build a place for yourself in the world, the more firm your footing, the more you're going to be in a position where you can help people out in the future, right? Putting your mask on first is always a metaphor that I really love because it means that if you take care of yourself, that is an act of solidarity and kindness to other people so that they don't have to take care of you. That's another part of it too, right? If you're in a position where you are cared for and in in a position where you can help other people, then I think that's a beautiful thing and that's a way to be a part of a community and maybe our first responsibility of being part of a community. Uh, There's a point I really want to make before we're done, going back to what Howard said about writing excuses. Uh, It seems ridiculous in 2023 to suggest, 
oh, you need a mentor? Just be on a podcast with Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> but you got to remember, when we started this in 2008 or whatever it was, Howard was the most financially successful and most famous guy on the podcast um, by a significant margin. I wasn't even published yet, and Brandon only had one book out. This was before Wheel of Time. This was before everything. And so a lot of this solidarity that we're talking about, it doesn't have to only point up. Uh, look around you at the other people that are with you. Uh, look more for talent than for success because you never know where your peers are going to be 10 or 15 years from now. Uh, finding that solid support group of people who will eventually be in a different position than they are right now is a really, really, I think, crucial part of finding that mentorship and, and support. Well, one thing is that, you know, I think you might be at home sitting there being like, I haven't done anything yet. I haven't experienced anything yet. I don't know what I can give back. I don't know what I can teach at this point. And I just want to remind everyone that sometimes one of the kindest things you can do, one of the most helpful things you can do is just sit there and listen and take in what someone else is saying and say, I'm really happy for you or I'm sorry that happened, right? You know, um, I think being able to bring that into a conversation is such a thing that can be really inviting and to help someone on their road in a way that isn't about explicitly here's some advice, here's me teaching you how to do this thing. And I would say, no, we're running late, but I think that the important thing about community too is that not everyone has to be everything to you. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes one of the things, one of the reasons I like sort of solidarity over mentorship is that sometimes with a mentor, it's like that person has to be like cheering you on and, you know, the person you can complain to and giving you a job. But like sometimes you can have, it's like when you're going out on the town, you've got that friend who you call up when you want to go to the club because they're great for that. That might not be the same friend that you have a deep conversation with over coffee the next day. Totally. And having all of that in your writing community, seeing what it is that you think you need out there and then looking for people who can give that to you and who need things from you that you can give to them, I think really makes your community powerful and strong and makes your writing career a happier one. Know which group chat is for talking shit and which group <laughs> chat is for advice. <laughs> yeah. oh, dear. Uh, and on that note, Mary Robinette, I believe you have her homework. Yes. So your homework this week is to, to kind of think about some of the barriers of publishing. But think about one thing that you can do that will make someone else's path easier. Something that doesn't have to be a hard lift for you. I'm not asking you to like go out and start a charity or something like that. But some small action that you can take that will make someone else's path easier. And then do it. In our next episode, Dang Wan talks about when you should tell, not show, and Erin explains how she lets her students guide the learning. Also, Howard tells you why you shouldn't put a frozen turkey in a deep fryer. Until then, you're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dang Wan Song, Erin Roberts, Dan Wells, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.